1: Hello, welcome, welcome back. Welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. We've been away for a few weeks, but now we are back. I am your host, Misha Globerman. Trampoline Hall, as you know, is a lecture series that takes place in a bar, uh, usually in Toronto, although sometimes in other cities. People at Trampoline Hall give lectures on all kinds of subjects, with the one restriction being that they cannot lecture on subjects on which they are professionally expert. It cannot be their job to know the thing. After each lecture, we take questions from the audience. I do, I take questions from the audience. This, of course, is the Trampoline Hall podcast, uh, not the live show. You probably know that because you understand how reality works. Um, but uh, the way the, the podcast works is on each episode, uh, we take one lecture from our archives. Some are old, some are new, some are um, both old and new. Um, the, the, the And we do it in little short seasons. So uh, a few times a year, we do a six-episode season. And now is the time of the year when we are doing that. For this season, Kate Bars has looked through the archive and chosen six amazing uh, lectures uh, for you to enjoy. Enjoy. If you like this, by the way, and you're in Toronto and it's not the COVID pandemic, you should come see the show. Uh, get on our email list and you can do it. Oh, also, if you like the podcast, you can see the live show in Toronto when we're doing it. Also, if you're listening now during the pandemic, we've been doing online shows. You can get on our email list and get announcements about the online shows, too. They're actually pretty cool. Uh, so you might want to come join up for that. Uh, but now, now is the time for uh, this episode's podcast lecture. Uh, you might be wondering if it contains mature language. And the answer is it might. And now it is time for the lecture. Lecturer. the topic is fighting and the lecturer is Suzanne Cart the topic is fighting and the lecturer is Suzanne Cart
2: Hello. I don't feel so bad now with the paper that I saw Misha like waving his around because now I'm gonna wave mine around for the next eight minutes Uh, So, yes, I'm talking about fighting, but more specifically, in uh, 1989, Vince McMahon announced that WWE was fake. Testifying in front of a New Jersey State Senate, McMahon, the World Wrestling Federation owner, was pressured to reveal that professional wrestling was scripted and, in fact, was entertainment and not sport. He did so as a strategic business move to avoid taxation, bureaucratic regulations, through the State Athletic Commission, so he wouldn't have to pay a uh, Levy that for the house shows or any of the pay-per-view events. It was an admission that changed the way in which the industry operated, but it really was not all that shocking. What was shocking, though, <laughs> was that when it was uncovered as a charade it did little to deter fans from investing in the character narratives and the fights themselves. This confession that all the outcomes were predetermined did nothing to damage the reputation of the organization nor did it affect its mass popularity. This did uh, change; or it didn't change how professional wrestling was consumed, and the WWE was at the height of Hulkamania at the time and showed no signs at all of slowing down. Fans were able to suspend their disbelief, continue their love affair with wrestling, <laughs> oh, as my grandfather used to call it. But for Terry Jean uh, Boullier and Hussein Kassroo um, Ali Vaziri. Pro wrestling was really all too real. It is their life. You might be, or sorry, WWE was not uh, determined, it not only determined their futures, but it fundamentally shaped who they are. Um, These two men you might be more familiar with as Hulk Hogan and the Iron Sheik. These characters are the reality. Terry and Hussein no longer exist. There is only Hogan, and chic. Their lives have been dictated by a kayfabeian system. Um, so, kayfabe is a pro wrestling industry term that's um, all about the dedication to truthiness. To be kayfabeian is to portray, portray all events uh, within the business as completely factual. All of the wrestler storylines, moves, bad blood fights are all to be represented as close to the truth as possible, not as staged or worked. Kayfabe rules that wrestlers stay in character during the show and in all public appearances uh, in order to maintain the feeling of reality, albeit suspended uh, amongst fans. The word Kayfabe is thought to have originated as a carny slang for protecting the secrets of the business. It may ultimately uh, originate for Pig Latin for fake, fe or the phrase, be fake, eBay, egg Another theory is that the term was yelled um, to signal trouble, and that kayfabe also may derive from another trick used by tra- traveling uh, carnival workers. With money tight, a carny would call home, collect, and ask for kayfabian. The receiver would then reject the call, but the message would already be sent the code was letting people know it that they were at home that they made it safe to the next town without having to pay for the cost of that phone call so like a magician's code um, to never give up any trade secrets so kayfabe has become the code that protects pro wrestling industry maintaining the realness of the storylines but there's deep consequences for breaking those codes a tough lesson that the iron sheik discovered in nineteen eighty seven hussein uh, immigrated to Minnesota from Tehran in the late 70s, where he was a bodyguard for the Shah and one of the, the top three champion military wrestlers in Iran. In America, he coached the US uh, Olympic wrestling team and began uh, the amateur circuit. So pro wrestling at the time is not what we understand it to be today as the multi-billion dollar organization. But he was working under the management of Vern Uh Hussein was uh, perfect for the entertainment wrestling. He was an athlete that was in top physical condition, he had skills in the ring, he had developed a deep love and dedication to the sport, it was his life. He's once said, to, uh, said that he felt married to the mat, it was his lover and it was his friend. Yet he wasn't progressing in the industry. It was Vern's wife that understood that Hossein wanted to go to the next level, that he would have to, and wanted to become more prominent in the business, he would have to find a very successful gimmick to make him a more recognizable character she told him well you're middle eastern why don't you make yourself a sheik?" thus the iron Sheik was born he devised the character taking cues from middle eastern stereotypes he shaved his head he grew a mustache he dyed it black and his eyebrows he grew it into this very impressive handlebar um, which his wife to the, this day still dislikes um, and, uh, and he wore um, kefia, which is a traditional headdress uh, fashioned from a square scarf. And uh, yeah, so anyway, sorry. And, uh, and then he, he, his finishing move was the camel clutch, which I will show anyone afterwards that would like to in, in the back. Um, um, so he ranted at the audience in Farsi. He sang the Iranian anthem, he spit, he uh, berated American ideals. The fans were completely irate. But they were feeding off the core anti-Iranian attitude the American and, and, um, in America, and he transformed himself into the perfect villain. I'll ask you to remember at this time, too, when the Iron Sheik was devised, wrestling was still real. And, as Jake the Snake describes it, whatever's going on in the world is magnified a hundred times in wrestling. Therefore, the Iron Sheik character exploded in 1979 when the Iranian activist stormed the U.S. State's embassy in Tehran uh, in retaliation for President Jimmy Carter, putting the Shah in power and uh, providing asylum for him in the U.S. during the Iranian Revolution. 52 of the embassy staff were taken as hostages, and all the events were heavily televised in the American public. This became real heat, real heat between the USA and Iran. Wrestling fans placed all of their fear, all of their anger, onto the sheik, thus transforming him into, still this day, the most powerful heel in the history of pro wrestling. Most popular narratives, there needs to be a good guy and a bad guy. In wrestling terminology, this is known as the baby face, or sometimes just the face, um, and the heel. Uh, as a bad guy, one that receives it, the bad guy is the, the one that receives heat from the audience. So heat is also a term that's used to describe the animosity that one can feel from the crowd. There's good heat. And there's bad heat. So the good heat is where a fan loudly boos, and the bad heat is where it can get very violent and aggressive. The iron sheet garnered the latter in epic proportions. It was said that he needed to be taken out um, of the hotel by an ambulance, or taken out of the venue to the hotel by an ambulance to avoid angry mobs outside the event that actually wanted to kill him. K. Fabe lost him his safety and his mobility but it all came to a crashing halt in 87 when the Sheik broke publicly. So he broke his character. En route to WrestleMania event in New Jersey, arch enemies, but still real life drinking buddies, the Iron Sheik and Jim Hexaw Duggan grabbed a couple of beers and raced down the, hall, the highway uh, in the same vehicle to the event. So this was a huge transgression. To protect the business, heels and baby faces are never to be seen together, uh, and they have to travel separately. When they were stopped by the police officer for speeding and drinking and driving, uh, they, were, um, they were taken into custody. The sheik was charged with possession of cocaine, but they were released in time, so that happened at 6 o'clock. By 8 o'clock that evening, they were both fighting in the main event. Um, So, they were released in time, they made it to Asbury Park, where they fought a main event as heated rivals. When the news broke the following day of their arrest, the illusion of the feud was shattered in seconds. The two men failed to maintain kayfabe. And when the media got a hold of these, uh, in fact, that these two adversaries were associating as friends, it was all over. And fearing a dramatic drop in ticket revenue, McMahon publicly announced that both the the Iron Sheik and Hacksaw Jim Duggan would never set foot in the WWE uh, WWE ring again, thus destroying Hassan's career. The Iron Sheik quickly went from performing in arenas of hundreds of thousands of screaming fans to local bars of maybe 100 people. Uh, So here's a man that I, but in the end, he actually was the one who built the WWE Empire for McMahon. Hulkamania would never have existed if it wasn't for, uh, for the Iron Sheik because he was the one that handed his over his belt to the all-American hero, Hogan. The Iron Sheik was the key in constructing the mythos of the biggest babyface of all time, that of Hulk Hogan. A championship belt can be won by clean wrestling. And clean, clean wrestling is what happens when you pit uh, two baby faces together in a match. Without a heel, there's no animosity, and both have to obey the world rules at all times. So you just have this very technical fight. You don't have a very thrilling fight. And so you always have to be able to overturn the bad guy to be the good guy. So Hogan needed to win this epic battle with the Sheik. Yet in 1K Fabian, indiscretion. All his years of physical labor, loyal friendship, were forgotten and he was banished from the Federation. He lost more than just millions of dollars. He lost his identity. Where does Hussein uh, cross off Ali Vizier, and the Iron End and where does the Iron Sheik begin or vice versa? After spending most of your life playing character, do you actually become that character? Does Hussein like, exist anymore? Kayfabe has erased Hussein. And, in fact, also his uh, grandchildren call him Papa Sheik. (laughs) (laughs) So, in recent years, the Iron Sheik uh, has risen to fame again. The fear of the Middle Eastern man is not a hangover from the conflict in the 70s, but is a continued and oppressive hatred that is fueled by racism. Islamophobia has changed the role of the Iron Sheik in in contemporary America today. Coming out of a debilitating drug and alcohol addiction, the Iron Sheik has built a new career as a social media personality. This time he's emerged not as a powerful heel, but as the clown. The Iron Sheik is developed um, by an industry and a nation, uh, right with racism and not to even get involved with the misogyny and homophobia that exists in WWE. That's another presentation. Uh, with his catch and with his his catchphrase, I'm gonna fuck your ass and make you humble. The iron <laughs> cheek is, yeah, <laughs> to a point where it doesn't even make sense. And well, not that it made sense in the first place, but he just like just yells, "Fuck, fuck you, fuck you," all the time into the thing. So, but that was the ver- very first one that actually um, that was uh, that was put on YouTube. That uh, now he has to like a parrot say over and over and over again. Um, the Iron Sheik is rendered a joke again giving the American public what they need a character to hate and ridicule that of a scapegoat so that I would like to close with a question posed by the Hulkster himself what you gonna do brother when Hulkamania runs wild all over you
1: You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman.
2: Up next, the QA. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage.
1: Are there, are there any questions? <laughs> uh, yes, yes, you sir. Can you talk a bit about how you experienced wrestling growing up? How did you experience wrestling growing up?
2: Um, my father is a very physical man and having uh, two girls, he we fought a lot. And with my dad, there was always the fl- fake blood was involved. We were thrown around. Neighborhood kids would come over. Like it was the way in which we were able to kind of become the boys that he never had. And so it became a very, um, yeah, it was, a, it was an exciting thing for us to be able to participate in. And again, like those stories and those narratives and watching WrestleMania and going to WrestleManias as well. Like the energy that's in that crowd is absolutely like fucking unbelievable and terrifying the audiences are absolutely terrifying so you went to WrestleMania as a kid yeah
1: and that was was that fun was that was scary was scary and fun was it
2: no no, it was fun then now when i look back it's totally terrifying and uh and i had an event a a, a couple of years ago with a friend uh, matt who was roughing with um samoa joe and i realized that actually when i looked out into the audience it was like these people terrify me, absolutely terrify me because that heat, it just rises in the, in the room right. to a degree where you feel as though, like, yeah, that's actually, it, it doesn't feel safe. Right. It's like
1: the primary thing that wrestling doing is like riling up a mob. Like oh, yeah. other things might sort of accidentally rile up a mob or like soccer like accidentally riles up a mob or whatever. Yeah. But. Wrestling, it's just like, the only goal is to rile up a mob, right? Oh, it's yeah. like, oh, good, we've riled up the mob. And oh, yeah,
2: and and the Iron Sheep is fantastic at doing that. Yeah. yeah.
1: How old were you when you went as a kid?
2: I think I was probably around eight.
1: It wasn't scary then? Or no, what?
2: no. Okay. okay. No, because I didn't know was any it, better. to Was be it scared. fun? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was, yeah, it was amazing. Okay. Yeah. All right,
1: cool. Uh, yes, uh, yes, over there, yeah.
2: What would I your actually, wrestling alter ego be? I actually do have one. I wrestled for a bit. <laughs> I'm the fingernails of justice.
1: You wrestle? Is that?
2: I did for a while. I'm not very good at it. I'm not good at the acrobatics. And I'm not good at, um, at being pretend to take a hit. I'd rather just be hit. Um, and then fake it. It's just, yeah, it feels weird. That's a really
1: weird, that's a really specific preference. Yeah. Because I would much rather pretend to be hit than be hit, and I feel I'm in the majority on that.
2: No, because everything tells you not to let your legs slip out from underneath you. So if someone just fake hits you and you all of a sudden have to dramatically react to that, you actually have to kick your legs out from underneath yourself. But, again, like if someone really hits you, then you don't have right, to easy do that.
1: To, right, you don't have to do all that extra pretending.
2: Exactly. <laughs> you just uh, fall over. Okay. I do remember though, in one match, a guy had picked me up and thrown me down. And when he came to grab my back again, I was like, no, Zeke, actually, I am in pain. <laughs> <laughs> um, are,
1: are there some? OK, oh, yes, yes, you, yes. Uh, can you show us the camel clutch? Can we see the camel clutch? Do you want to see the camera watch.
2: It, it actually can be painful. Oh, I will warn you. Well, okay,
1: all right, it like? A, is it damaging or just painful?
2: You have to lay down.
1: Yeah. All right, all right. Can I take my mic with me? Yes. All right, just in case, just think, I want to be in touch with you guys, so I'm taking this. Down your belly? Excuse me, sickly. Oh, okay. Right, so if we were just saying, we were just, okay, all right. So basically,
2: you're Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, that is actually painful. Yeah, is you
2: can actually get the, see, I don't, I don't know
1: how flexible you are. but then you can, tremendously flexible. Okay. You can actually get, get up on here, too.
2: Or he can backbend some people. And then in like the epic fight with him and Hogan, there is one... Because, of course, you know the back and forth. You can't just go in there and then the sheik has to do something nasty or the heel has to do something nasty to get the, the good guy, the baby face, to fall at one point and, oh, it looked like he's almost going to lose and then come back.
1: Yeah, I can see how that would be hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Back there. Uh, did, you have to practice the shirt with- did you have a what? Did you have to practice the? I'm. Uh- you, the- <laughs> you probably.
2: Oh, the, the shirt. Rip. There's oh, the a, shirt a, rip. a tiny tear at the top, so you don't have to do too much work at the beginning, because that would be really humiliating if I was like. <laughs> yeah. I pictured you having like eight different lectures that all ended with that, and you were
1: like, I don't know, I could do a lecture about how clothing are shoddily manufactured yeah. nowadays, or I could do a lecture about how I how I grow certain things, or and you're like, no, no, I'll go with wrestling.
2: But I actually, I used to do it a lot more. I uh, once was the, uh, I'm the former undefeated pillow fight champion of the world. And uh, and that was something I used to do before I entered the ring all the time. What is, Taking. What, is what does defeat look like in a pillow fight? Submission. Um, yeah, so submission either like just uh, blows taken, uh, suffocation... Uh, and yeah, and just like a in a KO or TKO,
1: you put you, you, if you move that pillow, you can get a, a lot of. And a TKO and pillow fighting would be a fine distinction. Is that like? Well, you
2: can you can get uh, when, if you move the the foam or when we used to use feathers. If you get it down, it can be like an anvil. If you can like spin it down to the end. <laughs>
1: Anything else? Anything else people want to know? Oh yes, on the way back. Yes, you sir. How did, how did your father use the fake blood? How did your father use <laughs> the fake blood? Thank you. I think that's the question in everyone's mind. just well, fake blood.
2: Well, because what you, uh, what a lot of the wrestlers did was they cut their scalp at the top. Uh, with these little fine cuts so that you can't see it within the hairline, but as you know, like if you have a cut on your head it bleeds profusely. And as soon as they started working uh, and the blood was pumping, it actually you you could get a lot. But with the fake blood, it was just the old like, catch-up kind of situation. Oh.
1: And that was something you would do like in like your regular wrestling. You'd be like wrestling with your dad. And he'd be yeah, like, when he'd oh, throw
2: I... us off the couch and... He'd like smash and his face. And he'd like smash over. his head and
1: like catch, and there'd be like ketchup coming down the side yeah. of his face. And you'd be like, would your response be like, yeah, we are so tough, we broke our dad's head? Or were you well,
2: like, that and then after a little while, it starts to smell and it's on everything. And then right. my mom would yell at us. Right, cool. uh,
1: anything else? Anything else people want to know? Yes, over there. Yeah, we're hanging on the edge. Yeah. Do you think fighting makes you more or less aggressive? Do you think fighting oh. makes you more or less aggressive?
2: Uh, good question it actually I would say less and the only reason why is you would think it was because I have an outlet for it but it's not actually when I wasn't fighting I would um, get drunk and like to pick fights and uh, now that I started to learn how to fight I realized I don't know how to fight at all and so you become a lot more calm and it's about respect I also do Muay Thai as well I've been competing for a couple of years um, on that circuit, so I also know it's about respect so And it's all about respect even with the the guys at the WWE With working with one another they they want to continue to they want to go home at the end of the day They want to be able to get up and train the next day, so they're they're not there to injure one another They want to work together so they, like any fighting discipline
1: ends up like teaching you kind of a uh, Some sort of focus or respectfulness or something like that.
2: yeah so yeah, when someone if if someone was to attack me in the subway, I'm am st- still going to just go for the crotch shot and run away. <laughs> <laughs> the end of the day, that's all you need. <sighs>
1: <laughs> so there you go. Real life wrestling. Weapon. Exactly. <laughs> all
2: right.
1: No further demonstrations are required. <laughs> Anything else? Anything else you would like to know? Oh yes, over there. Yes. Um, where can we see you fight? Where can we see you fight? <laughs> or can we see you fight?
2: I, I don't I I don't know if I am going to, to fight a game. I uh, my last fight uh, was in Arizona in April, and I I believe that it, it could potentially be my last one. How come? I need my head. I use it a lot. Um, it, was it like a? Yeah, like a, You get hit in the head every day, twice a day for many hours, and you know, you have those lingering headaches that last for days, weeks, months. And then after a while, you think, maybe I don't want to get hit in the head anymore.
1: <laughs> Someone was like, one no, person. Not my legs. Like, you one can person supports my... your choice.
2: Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> everyone else is like, yeah, I'd kind of
1: like to see her fight. <laughs> Every, everyone has a head. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what that logic was. Um, <laughs> So we don't know. So where you can see your fight is in Arizona in the past. Ah uh,
2: sorry, but Anything? maybe I'll pick up another, another fighting sport.
1: Well, really, would you consider like a?
2: I don't know. I don't know.
1: How many have you done? Because you've done.
2: I, I just did the the wrestling. I mean, wrestling. The pillow fighting. Pillow fighting. And then Muay Thai. Oh, and then I yeah I did Jiu-Jitsu for a while as well, jiu-jitsu. and. Yeah, and did one cage fight, and then that was about it.
1: Why are you... Wow, do you have, like, a lot of... You have, like, a lot of uh, fighting.
2: I love it. (laughs) It's
1: amazing. Okay. I love one. I thought I had a question, but I realized I was just like, you have a lot of fighting. Yes, you sir.
2: Um, You mentioned... I didn't know that Vince McMahon
0: admitted that it was fake. Uh, What year did you say?
2: That was in 89 in court. He had to...
1: Okay, when did... um, Uh, Hulk Hogan had his back broken by uh, uh, who was it the giant or the ultimate warrior when was that when when did Hulk Hogan have have his back broken and by whom I can't remember remember. because you were like it it seemed fake to you when that happened (laughs) so did anyone think it was real before they the question is before he admitted it was real in 89 like in 87 was like even you as you were a child and you were like this is clearly fake was there anyone who thought it was real
2: (laughs) I think still believe it's real. I'm sure that there is a large group of individuals that are still there. Most of the people in the front row seem to still think it's real. They're all got emphatically. But a lot of the injuries are uh, to give the the fighters breaks. So it's worked into the narrative either because there's some contractual um, disagreement and it's the way in which McMahon can fuck them too. Because also thinking about uh, hulk hogan and thinking about you know under the giant the sheik like any of the men that were coming out of that uh that era in that time is that also even though he created the sheik visually like visually and they weren't they didn't write their their characters and you had to be that character so not only does like like Hussein never don't doesn't exist anymore but he is someone else like he's a he's a puppet that's being he's being written but he believes the iron sheik so much so he's this weird caricature so
0: this sort of makes a like sort
2: of hated by a lot of oh yeah so people just, just the way man. that you would think with any and also the the large portion of the audience especially in that time too is a very working class um, uh, group of people too that were watching it so the fact that there was McMahon who was the man and everybody wanted to hate on him that's why McMahon actually entered the ring for a while afterwards because he realized that he was the heel he was one of the better heels too is because he had the ability to uh, break contract with like Bret Hart where he could whatever he said in the ring went and he could go back on, on promises or past uh, agreements. Because as soon as it was said, it was in the ring, it was reality. And everybody scrambled ahead of, uh, like about that, too.
1: There you go. Yes, yes, in the back, yes. Yeah, so I'm wondering who awarded you the uh, Pillow Fighting uh, uh, Championship? Was it you,
2: MindSpace, or was it some other lesser Who
1: awards the Pillow Fighting Championship? What it was.
2: It? it was the, the league itself.
1: The Pillow Fighting League? Yeah. Is that so the Canadian the Pillow Fighting League or the yeah. Pillow Fighting League of Canada? Or are, I are they the same? Said. I'm assuming there's multiple ones. I don't know. Same thing.
2: Okay. But, uh, yeah, no, it was the league. And it's a Canadian, na- it's yeah. it a
1: national league in Canada, is that right? Or is it a... Yeah. A no? Okay.
2: Yeah. We, we did, there is a belt.
1: There is a belt. Okay. Yeah. All right, there you go. So yeah. that, you just wanted to know if you were like, well, is, it, is there a belt? Is it real? Yes. Yeah. It's official. It's not some made-up thing. Yeah. There's a belt.
2: And they didn't give it to me. I what? took it from her. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, anything, anything else? Any other questions? Yes, yes, you, ma'am. Who writes the script?
2: Oh, for uh, the WWE? Yeah. Um, a, a group of writers? <laughs> I, I, I don't know any names. I can't give you... Any more information other than that. But I'm sure, again, like if they sit down with uh, McMahon and with the, the characters and divide what's going to happen too. But you start to see the UFC taking on the same kind of properties as that, because they understand that the entertainment is what keeps people around. Like, for a number of years, too, it's just like rubber match after rubber match after rubber match, because it was the only way that they were able to build any kind of character narrative without it getting too um, soap opera-like, and so that it didn't look like entertaining, entertainment. But again, like, how many times have you wondered how if they're if they're fixed? There's so much money that's that's involved with them and no, in the, in
1: UFC and Ultimate Fighting. Yeah,
2: that if they they take a dive for uh, for a paycheck.
1: Okay, so 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 we don't know who writes. So the question of who writes it is, is writers. Writers, writers, <laughs> people, <laughs> I just keep picturing like people like <laughs> finishing like their MFA program or whatever. <laughs> this is like, great. Oh, no, I thought you know again, yeah.
2: Be like, okay. I'm gonna fuck you um, in the ass. And uh, yes, yeah, humble. over there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Someone wrote that. I'm sure he they're wrote like that. one are in, in the room. They're like, that, yeah. like They're like, I'm gonna slap your face and make you humble. Now let's 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 pump it up a little bit. Pump it
2: bit.
1: up a bit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, you had a question. You're... What's it like to? What was it like to be in a cage match?
2: Um. Scary. Uh, no, it actually wasn't that scary. It, it was fine. The only thing is, is that you're, um, which I didn't think of because I hadn't been in before is that your your toes get caught in the fence and that so and you're, you're not able to grab the cage so um, but also my opponent was a little bit larger than I am even though we do have weight uh, differences she came in um, heavier and that made all all the difference in the world because as soon as she just puts your weight on you in the cage which I'm not used to that I'm used to her ring so I can kind of, I can bounce myself Off of a ring and move easier, but as soon as your back is on a cage, there's 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 not much flexibility in that surface, which I was really shocked.
1: Does that answer your question? You look like I don't know if you can see, but you look like like oh my god, it really does answer my question. Uh, So the answer is so don't go into a cage match with someone who's bigger than you if you haven't done a cage match before. That's your that's your takeaway. Uh, Let's see. Yes, back there. Yeah. What, what are your feelings of the general sort of shift in popularity from WWE, from, from wrestling to UFC, Ultimate Fighting?
2: Um, I, I feel, again, like Dana White has the same McMahonian vibe about him. He seems like a, a, an asshole. And, uh, and that he does do the same types of, like, yeah, the same strategies are, are, are employed. The way in which he really wants these different camps, like with the, uh, the Ultimate Fighter, um, Reality series as well, and then that's how they're building their fighters. So there's a buy-in as well. If you've seen these individuals struggle, and then the same rhetoric is always like put over and again and again that they have to be there to win, and that they if they're um, any less dedicated, and they have to they have to bleed for the sport, and end up bleeding basically for him, and uh, and for for a paycheck. But uh, but the the shift I, I'm. Yeah, I, I feel like it's starting to the same thing where it's it gets pretty boring after a while and they need to do something to bring. And that's why they brought women back in or not back in. They, why they brought women in in the first place. Dana White said a woman would never set foot in the octagon, never. And he said that numerous times. And then he realized that his industry was getting really boring and didn't know what to do and then brought in Rousey and she killed it for years. And then he pinned all his hopes on her. And, uh, but he was still that asshole that said that women would never enter. And then there's a whole other conversation, too, about watching uh, women beat each other up in a cage match, too, where even I don't feel like the, the refs were completely prepared for it, either. Because there was a few stoppages that you would never see in, in a man's stoppages. When uh, the ref feels like the woman or the person is not uh, defending themselves properly, right. and then they call it a technical knockout and they stop the fight. Yeah, there was a, a fight where they shouldn't have done that. So you think but, they stopped it too early? But, yeah, because yeah, I think that they were just. They, I think that they were kind of appalled at watching one woman beat on another one so bad. They were like, "That's too much." It's too much. We can't <laughs> deal like, with that. <laughs> Popular
1: media so is like that. Is it. too much violence against women? We are stopping it there. Yeah. They've we never done that before.
2: Yeah, we can't deal with this. Right, that's
1: weird. They were like, it was too... Yeah. And, you, and you were like, that should have gone on because it would have been it more... It totally should have gone on. Wow,
2: yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah.
2: Does your, has your dad come to your matches? Uh, he... No. No, doesn't like it at all.
1: He no. taught you.
2: And he hates it. Really? He, he really doesn't like it at all. No. No, I, I sheepishly don't even tell them when I have a fight coming up. I mention it very casually like, as I'm leaving Sunday dinner. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna be in Arizona next week.
1: <laughs> and he doesn't like it because?
2: Because he doesn't want to see me hurt. Right. Yeah.
1: There, well, okay, fair enough. Uh, 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 going <laughs> you know, back, the, back to you, back there, yes, in the middle of the room, yes, you, yeah. Oh, I don't think you full time, but you said you're not fighting anymore? Do you have any projects? Yeah, projects other than fighting? <laughs> now that you're not fighting.
2: Um, I'm a curator. I work at the gallery um, so i have I have those types of projects i have work related projects, and that uh but uh but physical challenges I don't know I was like i'm I think I might like. Why don't they do triathlons? But triathlons where maybe we punch people in the face afterwards or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel either of this. Whether Figure four leg lock. <laughs> it's Get out one. of that. And then touch that person. <laughs> All right.
1: So maybe we'll look forward to seeing you in a triathlons where people punch each other in the face. Maybe. All right. We're wrapping okay. up. Now. There's and gentlemen, Suzanne Cart, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Trampoline Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by Zenya Benovalski. This podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Our coordinating producer is Kate Bars. If you enjoyed the podcast, uh, leave us a review on iTunes. It really helps a lot. I'm Misha Globerman. Thanks for listening.